Welcome to Murder Bucket, the podcast where I dive deep into murders, paranormal activity, abductions, kidnappings, and weird stuff. I'm your host, Hannah. Let's see what I'm going to pull out of the bucket this week. Good evening, everyone. It is officially 2021. Yes, I know, I'm a little late to the game because it's already January 11th. But I've been away for a couple of weeks, spending Christmas and New Year's with my husband and our 10-month-old daughter. I just want to start off 2021 by saying thank you. Thank you to all of my followers and listeners that have supported me in the last couple of months with the startup of my podcast. So with that being said, let's get started. On tonight's episode, I will be talking about the Hyatt Regency walkway collapse. In July of 1980, the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Kansas City, Missouri opened for business. It was part of the Crown Center complex that was built by a company called Hallmark Cards. The construction of the 40-story hotel began in May of 1978. While there were numerous setbacks and delays, A newspaper described the construction as being fast-tracked. One major delay was a collapse of 2,700 square feet of the roof when connections failed on the northern end of the building. The newspaper commented that notable structures around the country were failing at an alarming rate. They included the 1979 Kemper Arena roof collapse and the 1978 Hartford Civic Center roof collapse. The lobby was one of its defining features. It incorporated a multi-story atrium spanned by elevated walkways that were suspended from the ceiling. They were built with steel, glass, and concrete. This building was considered the first of its kind at the time. The walkways were 120 feet long and weighed roughly 64,000 pounds. The fourth floor walkway was directly above the second floor, while the third floor walkway was off-center. On the evening of July 17, 1981, a tea dance was being held in the atrium with approximately 1,600 guests in attendance. A tea dance is described as a social event that takes place in the afternoon where guests meet to dance and have tea, essentially around tea time, hence the name. At around 7.05 p.m., the second-floor walkway held 40 people, the third-floor walkway held a little bit more, and the fourth-floor walkway held about 20 people. The guests heard popping noises just moments before the fourth-floor walkway dropped several inches, paused, then fell onto the second-floor walkway. Immediately following, both walkways fell onto the lobby floor. In an article on interesting engineering, it was said that during construction, an apparent design flaw was identified. Apparently, the contractors decided to change the design of the walkways, which resulted in the double loading of the connection between the fourth floor and the roof. The new design change, even though it was very subtle, was enough to undermine the safety of the structures. The connections failed. Teams began to arrive and begin the 14-hour rescue operations. 
There were several members from the fire brigade, EMS units, and doctors from five local hospitals. The power was cut off to try and prevent fires from starting. That, as well as a large cloud of dust, made visibility extremely poor. People were buried beneath steel, concrete, and glass, which made the fire department jacks unable to move any of the debris. Many volunteers brought jacks, torches, compressors, jackhammers, concrete saws, and generators. A crane was also brought while booms were forced through the lobby windows to lift the debris. Deputy Fire Chief Arnett Williams was told by the industrial community to take whatever was needed. He later recalled that he wasn't sure if all of those people got their equipment back and that no one had ever submitted a bill. A makeshift morgue was made in the ground floor exhibition area where the deceased were taken. The hotel's driveway and front lawn had to be used as a triage area for those injured. People who could walk were asked to leave the hotel to try and make the rescue efforts a little easier. It was said that rescuers had to dismember bodies to reach survivors among the wreckage. A surgeon had to amputate someone's leg with a chainsaw. Hundreds of people lined up at blood centers to donate. When the walkways collapsed, it ruptured the sprinkler system, which started to flood the lobby. Instead of the system being supplied from the city, the water was coming from tanks, which made it impossible to turn them off. This put trapped survivors at risk of drowning. Kansas City's fire chief realized that the hotel doors were acting as a dam. He ordered bulldozers to break down the doors and have the broken pipes connected to a fire hose to prevent further flooding. Nine hours after the rescue operations began, Mark Williams was the final victim that was rescued. He was penned underneath the lower walkways. Both of his legs were dislocated and he nearly drowned before the water was shut off. He spent nearly two months in the hospital. His legs were severely injured and became so swollen that the doctors had to make small incisions in his legs to relieve the pressure. After months of physical therapy, he regained feeling in his legs and eventually was able to walk independently, though now with a limp. About 10 years after the accident, Mark returned to the hotel, saying that he felt drawn to the spot where he lay crushed under tons of broken building. After 12 hours, workers thought they had cleared everyone, but while lifting the final slab at around 7.15 the next morning, they found 31 more people crushed to death underneath. A total of 29 people were rescued from the rubble. Wayne Lishka, an architectural engineer, was hired by the Kansas City Star to investigate the collapse. He discovered that the steel hanger rod designs were the cause of the collapse. Within just a few days, a laboratory at Lehigh University began testing box beams on behalf of the steel fabrication source. A court order was required to retrieve the walkway pieces from storage to conduct the examination. An investigator with the National Bureau of Standards characterized the neglectful corporate culture surrounding the entire Hyatt construction project as everyone wanting to walk away from responsibility. It was cited in the NBS final report that structural overload resulting 
from design flaws where the walkways had only minimal capacity to resist their own weight. Two days after the collapse, the president of the Hyatt Hotel chain, Pat Foley, insisted that the walkways were designed to hold as many people as you could jam on them. The walkways were meant to be suspended from the atrium on continuous rods. The manufacturer of the rods had concerns with the original design and, in their opinion, the need for the tie rods to be threaded along their entire length meant that they could easily be damaged during the walkways being hoisted into place, ultimately rendering them useless. The original design only supported 60% of the minimum load required by Kansas City building codes. They decided to change the design to include two sets of tie rods to be used. One set would connect the fourth floor to the roof and the other set to connect the second floor to the fourth floor. Now they were only strong enough to support 30% of the minimum load. The night of the collapse, the stress became too great and the box beams split along welds and the nuts that were supporting them slipped right through that gap. This was consistent with the reports that the fourth floor walkway fell several inches first, then the box beams began to fail, which allowed the entire walkway to fall. It was also ruled out that the weight or motion of guests on the walkway was not a significant factor in the collapse. The decision to change the design was most likely made to save money and time, and somehow the construction passed inspection. Investigators concluded that there was a problem with communication between Jack Gilliam and Associates and Haven Steel. The drawings provided by Jack Gilliam and Associates were only preliminary sketches and Haven Steel interpreted them as the finalized set. Proposed plans were accepted over the phone by engineer Daniel Duncan without performing the necessary calculations or even viewing the sketches. Jack Gilliam later reflected that the design flaw was so obvious that any first-year engineer student could figure it out, if only it had been checked properly. He occasionally lectures at engineering conferences. He says that when he speaks, he wants to scare the daylights out of the audience in the hope of preventing future mistakes. He unfortunately passed away in 2012. The Missouri Board of Architects, Professional Engineers, and Land Surveyors investigated and brought charges of gross negligence and misconduct against the structural engineer on record and the structural engineer project manager from the firm that provided the design plans. A judge found them guilty of all charges and both engineers lost their license. In the months following the tragedy, more than 300 civil lawsuits were brought up in court requesting a total of $3 billion to be given to the victims and their families. Only about $140 million was actually awarded to them over the years. There was a class action lawsuit brought against Crown Center Corporation. That lawsuit yielded $10 million, which included $6.5 million dedicated as donations to charitable and civic endeavors. Every defendant, including Hallmark Cards, Crown Center Corporation, the architects, engineers, and contractors, all denied legal liability. Several of the rescuers suffered considerable stress due to their experience. Jackhammer operator Bill Allman died by suicide. 
1983, it was reported that the $5 million reconstruction made the building one of the safest in the country. In 1987, it was renamed the Hyatt Regency Crown Center, and then in 2011, renamed the Sheraton Kansas City at Crown Center. The lobby has stayed the same throughout the several renovations. This tragedy remains the deadliest non-deliberate structural failure in American history. It is now a case study that is being taught to first responders. It's called the all-hazard approach. It is also being taught in university engineering ethics classes how the smallest personal responsibility can impact the biggest projects with the worst possible results. A memorial was dedicated by Skywalk Memorial Foundation, a nonprofit organization established for victims of the Hyatt collapse on November 12, 2015, in Hospital Hill Park across the street from the hotel. This included a $25,000 donation from Hallmark Cards. At this time, I would like to read the names of the victims of the Hyatt Regency walkway collapse. I apologize if I mispronounce anyone's names. John Adler, Connie Alcala, Velma Allen, Carol Andrew, Bonnie Bartles, William Bartles, Robert Barton, Robert Bentua, Calvin Burgess, Florence Burgess, John Bergman, Pearl Bergman, James Bolton, Julia Bolton, Henry Botnan, Louis Bottenberg, Jacqueline Brooks, Florence Burgess, Dolores Carmona, Theodore Cast, Gerland Coffey, Pamela Coffey, James Cottingham, James Daughtery, Barbara Daughtery, Christina DePriest, Richard Deckroyf, Calvin Dietrich Jr., Clifton Dial, Lois Duncan, Jeff Durham, Lois Ferris, Carol Fien, Dolores Galvin, John Glasser, Lorette Glover, Ray Glover, Richard Goss, Roger Grigsby, Jean Gruning, William Gruning, Joseph Gubber, Virginia Hackett, Paula Hansen, Mary Hazelback, Thomas Henson, Ramelia Henson, Stephen Hirschman, Doris Hill, Forrest Hill, Richard Haltberg, Carl Huntsucker, Eugene Jetter, Karen Jetter, Jean Johnson, Robert Jonas, Elizabeth Colega, Julia Larma, Mary Lane, Bill Longmore, Clara McClellan, Betty McLean, William McLean, Betty Miller, David Miller, Vernon Mitchell, Susan Moberg, Cheryl Morgan, Marjorie Morris,
Nick Noble, Luis O'Connor, Neil O'Connor, Leona Omer, James Pelosi, Gerald Ray, Paul Reinhardt, John Rodman, Ruby Scanlon, Linda Skurlock, Floyd Schultz, Violet Schultz, Ruth Sigler, William Sigler, Helen Stark, Edmund Stein, Viola Stein, David Stover, Catherine Sullivan, Lucille Taylor, Anne Terry, Mary Torrey, Robert Torrey, John Tevden, Lynn Vander Hayden, Susanne Watson, Linda Wharton, Edward Whitney, Joyce Whitney, Ferna Wicker, Kathleen Wilbur, James Williams, Paul Winnett, Rudolph Zadazalo. Please join me in a moment of silence. And that concludes tonight's episode of the Hyatt Regency Walkway Collapse. Thank you for listening to Murder Bucket, and I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at The Murder Bucket, on Facebook at Bucket Murd, and on Instagram at Murd Bucket. <laughs>